I'll be preaching tonight from Isaiah chapter 57. Would you turn there, please, to Isaiah chapter number 57? Thank you, Pastor. We love you, too. And how many of you are thankful that we have a pastor who knows how to put things in their proper perspective? Would you raise your hand? Can't tell you the number of times I've been convicted just watching him. And, uh, of course, it's not about him tonight, but we're thankful for him. It is said that Arthur Stace wrote the word eternity over 500,000 times. He would wake up early in the morning, like you heard in the video earlier, that he would ask God, who needs to be reminded about eternity? He would hear from heaven and walk the streets and write the word. It said that in the span of 33 to 35 years, he wrote it 500,000 times. And it is impossible to calculate the impact of that one word that it had on a secular city. Truth of the matter is, only heaven would be able to reveal all that took place because of one man's passion to live for eternity. And I can't help but think, I I wonder how the reality of eternity could impact this church. If a a secular, lost city could be riveted with the idea of eternity, I wonder what would happen if God's people allowed that word to truly sit in their hearts and impact their daily lives. What would the ripple effect be if you and I learned to live with eternity in view? If you and I learned to lay aside the the cheap things, the petty things that steal and occupy our daily thoughts and sincerely lived in light of eternity. How would we go to work tomorrow? How would we attend school tomorrow? When we looked at our coworkers and and our classmates, what would we really think about if we were thinking about eternity, how many tracks would we carry and pass out? How many conversations would we have? What would our giving statement look like? What would these church services look like in 2023? I mean, think about it. If God's people lived with eternity in view, what would the invitations look like? And what would the, 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 the prayer times, how would they feel? And uh, what, would it, what would the song service, how would it sound in the ears of God? Sometimes I find myself just kind of robotically, mechanically singing the songs and staring at the screen and reading the words. But if we truly lived with eternity in view, what would the ripple effect be? If for 365 days, you and I thought about eternity, lived with eternity in view. How many of you know somebody that's lost and You're thinking right now, but you know somebody that's lost. My hand is raised. How many of you know somebody that's lost? Leave your hand raised for a moment. What would your prayer life look like? If you thought about them and you prayed with eternity in view, it's our prayer that God would burn the truth of eternity in our hearts and minds this year. 
Jonathan Edwards would pray, and I'm quoting, he'd pray, Lord, stamp eternity on my eyeballs. We thought about putting that quote out here, and we decided it would be a little too extreme for visitors. It's a good thought for us to consider. Lord, stamp eternity on my eyeballs. Help me to see things the way that you see them and and not to live, as it's already been said, in the here and now. But but how do you think about these situations this year as you enter the auditorium from the 70s lot, from this side over here, from the front, you'll see big banners written just like that and that copper plate script. And now you know the story of Arthur Stace. And I hope that every time you walk into this place, every time you see the banners, every time you see the cursive, that you'll remember uh, that the concept of eternity can make a major difference in your life. Most people would think that it would be easy to preach about eternity, and you probably think that it's all through the Bible. That's what I thought until, until pastor asked me to preach tonight. The word eternity is only found in one place in the Bible. It's only one spot. The word eternal and the word forevermore and, and everlasting. These are words that are, that are all through the pages of Scripture. But the actual word eternity is only in one spot. It's in Isaiah chapter number 57, verse number 15. Can we read it out loud? I'll let you stay seated, but can we read it out loud? Isaiah 57, 15, the only place where eternity is in your Bible. Let's read it together. Ready? For thus saith a high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. There are some powerful words jammed in verse number 15. You just go through that one verse and circle the the powerful words words, you would circle the word high as it pertains to the position of God. You would circle the word holy. You would circle the word humble. You would circle the word contrite. No doubt your eyes would land upon the word revive. And while I think I could preach all evening on each one of those words, uh, uh, there's one word tonight that has consumed me. There's one word tonight that is more powerful than all of them, and it's the word eternity. Eternity. Father in heaven, I pray that you would bless this message. Help me to say everything that needs to be said. But Lord, help me not to waste any of your precious people's time. Convict us, God. Already we've been convicted. And I pray that the truth from your word would just bring us to a point of decision right here, right here in the very beginning of the year, to live with eternity in view. In Jesus' name, amen. David Brainerd on his sickbed. He would die at 29 years of age. But on his sickbed, he wrote in his journal, I love to live on the brink of eternity. There was a famous Quaker missionary named Stephen Grulet. He was lost. He tells a story about how he got saved. He was lost. And he was walking through the woods one day, extremely convicted of sin. 
His story is, as he was walking through the woods, the wind picked up and it began to whistle through the air and whip through the air. And he, uh, he said it was strange. And he said that while the wind was whistling through the air, all I could hear was the word eternity. He said he began to walk faster. He tried to get away from it, tried to outrun the wind, but he found out that he couldn't. It picked up even more, and, and it became even louder and, and more intense, and all he could think about was the word eternity, until finally he said he fell on his face, and he cried out, Dear God, I am not ready for eternity. And he got saved that night. I heard the story of Thomas Chalmers, who was a Scottish preacher, this is a great story. He became a great preacher and an author. And at the end of his life, he was sitting in a church where he was being honored that night. He was being honored as a great preacher and statesman for the gospel. And in the middle of the meeting, a young man stood up and got everyone's attention. He began to read the most venomous, vile, blasphemous words that you've ever heard in your life. And every single word that spoke filled from his mouth was terrible against God. When he was finished, he maniacally laughed. And he said to the church crowd, every word that I just read was written by your famous Dr. Chalmers. The people were stunned and every eye turned to the gray-haired man who was seated in the front of the church. Chalmers stood up and he faced the crowd. He had tears in his eyes and he said, it's true. Every word the man said, I wrote. And he said this, there was a time in my life when I did not know God and I fought against him. And when I wrote those words, there were two things that I did not consider. He said, number one, the littleness of time and the greatness of of eternity. And tonight, as we think about eternity, I'm interested in just two simple thoughts. As your Bible is open there at Isaiah 57, I have two thoughts, and we'll be done in a good amount of time here. Not a good amount of time until I'm done, but we'll be done quickly. It's already been a good service. Thinking about eternity, thought number one, I want us to think about the bigness of God. The Bible says, for thus saith the high and lofty one, look at this, that inhabiteth eternity. He goes on to say, I dwell in the high and holy place. The bigness of God, it would be impossible for me to describe to you the bigness of our great God. It would be an impossibility. There's never been an orator skilled enough to be able to verbally describe to any amount of people the bigness of God. This past summer, I was uh, vacationing with my family in Tampa Bay, Florida. And we were there in Tampa Bay, just taking some time off and relaxing. And while we were there, we took a little cruise, one of those little hour-long cruises there in the bay. And, and uh, we were there enjoying ourselves. And they began to point out these massive homes, these huge houses. The tour guide began to tell us who lived in these homes. They were stunningly, they were huge, humongous homes. They pointed at one house and they said, Hulk Hogan owns that house. I thought, Hulk Hogan? Man, I remember him from when I was nine years old on Saturday morning. But anyways, Hulk Hogan lives in that house. They told us all the details of Hulk Hogan's house. Pointed at the next house, they, they said, John Travolta 
used to own that house, had it built right here on the bay. They began to go into all the extravagancies of the house and all the, the things that were inside of the house. And then he said he sold it because uh, he wanted to build an airstrip here, and, and the city of Tampa wouldn't let him build it right there on the bay. And so he sold his home. They went on to point out the founder of the Outback Steakhouse, his home there on the bay. The CEO of Crayola Crayons has a home on the bay, and I was looking at these houses. One of the houses, and I forget which one, but one of the houses literally had it built inside of the home where the Tampa Bay, the water would flow into the home and through the kitchen. Unbelievable. The amount of money spent on these homes. And I was taking it all in. It was the best the world had to offer, at least the best Tampa Bay had to offer. But it was good. For a moment, I thought to myself, I wonder what it would be like to live in one of those homes. I wonder what it would be like, man, to make my coffee in the morning and to have the Tampa Bay right there. I, mean, I wonder what that would be like. I was reconsidering my calling. <laughs> I live in Hammond, about six miles from here. No, but uh, I was wondering what that would be like. I looked over at my wife, and I knew that she was caught up in the same thoughts I was. Like, man, maybe we're young enough to strike lightning in a bottle and maybe be able to buy one of these houses. I looked over at her just knowing we're on the same page. She looked at me and she said, I wonder what it would be like to have to clean one of those houses. <laughs> I said, man, I said, I said, Minda, I said, if we lived in one of those houses, you wouldn't have to clean it. But somebody else would clean it. But the moment was past. <laughs> I said, we don't, we live in Hammond, so the job is yours now. But, uh, <laughs> Friends, God is so big that he lives in eternity. His home is eternity. I know it's a simple thought, but Deuteronomy 32 says the eternal God, Solomon said as he was dedicating uh, the temple in 1 Kings chapter number 8, verse 27, he said, oh Lord, the heaven of heavens cannot contain thee. He dwells in eternity. That's how big our God is. He's bigger than your problem. He's bigger than your difficulty. The bigness of God he is high, he is holy, and not only that, friend, he is a loving God. Look at the end of the verse there, how loving is him. It says this, he says in verse 15, I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit. God is so loving that while he's so big, he loves us so much that he comes to live inside of us. That's Love, Jeremiah speaks of an everlasting love. Oh, what a savior that he would come to us and live in our house for a while. And then we die and we go to live in his house for all of eternity. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever, the Bible says. What a great God, the bigness of God. I have a second thought. Not only the bigness of God as I think about eternity, unable to contain our God. But I think about the brevity of life. How little time I have to prepare for eternity. It's passing, it's fleeting. I think about that. Inside of you is an eternal soul, and that eternal soul will live forever. 
But you only have a short amount of time to prepare for eternity. I came across an interesting verse, Ecclesiastes 12.5 says, man going to his long home. Think about that, his long home. If there's a long home, there must be a short home. I live in a short home. It's in Hammond. It's my short home. But one of these days, I'll live in a long home. Can I tell you what I fear, church? I fear that you and I are going to stand before God someday. And when we stand before God as Christian people, at the judgment seat of Christ, we will see our life's work go up in a flame of fire like a bonfire on the 4th of July. Everything we ever lived for, everything we were saved for, everything that motivated us, we'll realize in that moment that we lived our whole life for our short home. And it'll be too late at that moment. God, help us to live with eternity in view. I want to have a good judgment seat. I want my family to have a good judgment seat. I'd love for you to have a good judgment seat. But in order for that to happen, we must live for our long home and not our short home. This past Monday, and I've told the story in the high school, the junior high, and this morning in teen church, so if I don't know it well by now, it's on me. But this past Monday, I was very interested in the football game. You, you don't know something about me and my son, Adam. We, we own an NFL football team. We're the owners. I'm, no, I'm serious. We are the owners. We make all the decisions. We approve all the trades. We, we own that fantasy football team. We were watching the game. We, we were very, very interested in the Bengals against the um, Bills. It's a great game if you like football. Determined the seating of the AFC conference. It was a huge game. The Bills are one of the best teams. The Bengals are one of the best teams in the NFL. So it was a big game. Two stud young quarterbacks, Josh Burrows for the Bengals and Josh, or um, uh, Joe Burrows for the Bengals and Josh Allen for the, uh, for the Bills. And man, it was just a great game to watch. I was watching it because I love football. I was watching it because it was a great game. I was watching it because I'm interested in these two young quarterbacks that will probably carry the league for the next 10 years. And I was watching it because it happened to be the Super Bowl for my fantasy football team. I was ahead, we were ahead by 70 points in our fantasy football team. We were in good position. Those of you that know football, you'll understand, I had, remaining to play, I had um, D Jamar Chase, the, the number one receiver for the Cincinnati Bengals. He normally gets a lot of points. I was already 70 points ahead. I had Jamar Chase yet to play. But the problem was our opponent, had three players to play. He had the quarterback, Joe Burrow, who would get a ton of points. He had T. Higgins, the Bengals' number two receiver, and he had the Buffalo Bills defense, and it was going to be close. So there I am, man. Didn't matter how busy the week was. It, was, it was my time to enjoy myself and to win the Super Bowl. I'm watching the game. My son's watching the game. We're all in. Huge game. Millions of people watching Five minutes into the game, those of you that know anything about sports or have paid any attention to the news in the last week know what I'm getting ready to say. Five minutes into the game of the year, Joe Burrows dropped back. He threw a slant pass to T. Higgins. T. Higgins caught it, turned upfield, went several yards, and 
a young safety, 24 years of age and the prime of life, Damar Hamlin, squared his shoulders and tackled T. Higgins. It was a routine tackle. Nothing about it was violent. Nothing about it was, was it was just a routine tackle. The camera panned away. They moved on to the next play, but then, then the camera panned back over to where the tackle took place. And when I saw the player down, Damar Hamlin, who had made the tackle, I saw some other players surrounding him, and I saw his lifeless legs. That, that's what I could see. It was just his knee pads and thigh pads, and, his, and they weren't moving at all. And I looked at my son immediately, and I said, this looks bad. This looks bad. They went to a quick commercial break. They, they came back, and soon uh, there were players in a big circle all on their knees praying. Many of you saw it. They went to another commercial break. They came back, and now the ambulance was on the field. They began to tell us how for nine minutes they had been administering CPR. They said how they had to bring in equipment to cut the uniform off of his lifeless body and, and how uh, uh, they brought him back to life, how his heart had literally stopped right there on the field. How they miraculously brought him back to life and they carted him into the ambulance. They showed the replay. I was interested in the replay. I called my wife down said, Minda, you have to see this. I've never seen anything like this. She came down, and we were watching it together, and just a routine tackle. And like they teach you in football, they teach you to just, just pop back up. No injuries. You just get right back up. It's not like soccer. I enjoy soccer. I know we just had the World Cup. It was fun. I was cheering for one of the teams. I don't know which one, but, but in soccer, I've noticed that a guy falls down and man, ah, you know, and it's just, and he's down there and man, first time I saw it, I thought, oh man, this is terrible. And then after several minutes go by and everybody gets Gatorade and every, he pops up and he runs back over to the, well, it's not that way in football. In football, they teach you when you hit the ground, you pop back up. There is never an issue. And they showed the replay and they showed DeMar Hamlin and, and they showed him tackle uh, T. Higgins and then he popped back up, just like, just like he's taught to do. Took one step. Then he fell backwards, lifeless. They rushed him to the intensive care unit, University of Cincinnati Hospital. He was there all evening. I believe he's still there today. They began to show the teammates that were on the field, and you saw that stud quarterback with his head in his hands and just staring straight ahead, and you saw those that played with him in the defensive backfield. He would call them his brothers. You saw the other cornerbacks there on the Buffalo Bills, big men, strong men, tough men. They were weeping openly and just crying, and Soon the commentators began to say, this is bigger than the game. This is bigger than the game. What we've witnessed today is bigger than the game. They began to say, we need to pray for DeMar Hamlin. We need to, we, thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers. I watched the next day ESPN and one of the commentators, Dan Orlovsky, look it up for yourselves. It's, it's pretty interesting to see it happen on national television. But Dan Orlovsky, they were talking about what had happened the night before and they said thoughts and prayers for DeMar Hamlin and his family. And Dan Orlovsky said, yeah, thoughts and prayers. He said, you know what? He said, I just feel like we should pray. How many of you saw this? Anybody here see this? He, he said, I just feel like we should pray for DeMar Hamlin. 
And they looked at him. He said, no, I mean like right now. Right there on ESPN. He bowed his head and he said, dear God. And he began to pray for this fallen football player. You see, my friend, I guess it's, it's we talk about the brevity of life. And, and here's a man who had achieved in his mind everything that there was to achieve. No doubt he had dedicated his entire life to play this game, and here he is on the professional level, and here he is in the biggest moment of his life, the biggest game of the year. He's got millions of dollars. His signature is worth a pile of money. He has followers. He has youth. He has health. He has it all. But in a moment, everybody recognized there's something bigger than the game. And would to God that the people in this room would stop living for the toys and the trinkets and the treasures and the, the pettiness and realize and wake up there's something bigger to live for than this world. Help us to live for eternity. Man, I think about the bigness of God. I think about the brevity of life. I saw this illustration and I'm almost through. When I saw the illustration, I thought, that's a good illustration. I'm going to use it someday, and today's the day, all right? The man said, follow the dot. Follow the dot. That's your birth. Follow the dot. That's your death. The line in between is your life. Your birth, your life, your death. He said if we could continue the line going all around the auditorium and all around the city and all around the state and all around the country. Matter of fact, if Brother Lawrence Williams could grab the line and just run as fast as he could. I've never seen somebody run like him. He could run around this town a thousand times. Your birth, your life, your death, and eternity. Why do we live our lives for that moment of time? What would it look like if you truly lived with eternity in view? I want to give you one last thought. It's a powerful thought for me. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 3. So I was looking at the word eternity and eternal. Ephesians chapter number 3. Look at what it says. Verse number 11. This is a thought that humbles me. This, this is a thought that humbles me. Eternity three, er, Ephesians 3, verse number 11. The Apostle Paul speaking, and this is what he said. Ephesians 3, 11, According to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. Paul, speaking of his own life, and he said, according to the eternal purpose. Here's the thought that humbles me. It's the last thought of the evening. The big God that the heavens cannot contain has looked at my life, and he has a deliberate purpose for my life. Think about that. A deliberate plan, 
a, a deliberate purpose. Something with your name on it that is bigger than your job, that is bigger than your bank account, that is bigger than your pleasures. He has an eternal purpose. What are you living for? What are you living for, church? What am I living for? We think about eternity and the impact that it could have, but are we, are we living for the hand breath of life or are we living for eternity? What consumes our minds? Are we living for the eternal purpose that God has placed on our lives? What would Super Saturday soul winning look like? Prayer closets, Bible reading, all of it. How well attended would the missions conference be? Not a guilt trip. I'm just saying, if you lived with the eternal purpose in mind. I've had some offers, and you know what? As some men would count offers, some, some, some would say they were good offers to live a comfortable life here on earth. But what about the eternal purpose? What about it? What about the eternal purpose that God has played? It humbles me to think that God has a deliberate plan for my life. Are you living with eternity in view? What are you living for? What are you dreaming about? When you stand before God, will it be a bonfire that just consumes everything that you lived for on this earth? Wood, hay, and stubble, the Bible says. Will there be anything left over that you can carry with you into eternity? What kind of things, Brother Judah? A soul? Prayer, I believe this. I believe our prayers have eternal effects in the lives of other people. We would pray with eternity in view and witness with eternity in view and give with eternity in view. I believe we could fulfill the eternal purpose. Would you bow your heads, please, and close your eyes?